Welcome to the Bailey, where the host is asleep, so we create bootlegs under his nose. I'm usurper host Tracing Woodgrains, and today we're going to be talking about antinatalism. So to get started, let's go ahead and have everyone give a little bit of their uh, summary, their position statement on the topic. Starting with Flashy, let's hear your position statement on antinatalism. All right. Hi, I'm Flashy Man. Uh, I'm mostly interested in the philosophical position of antinatalism, as basically as put forth by David Benatar. I'm not really interested in what you might call popular uh, antinatalistic or natalistic creeds. I think most of them are, well, I just don't care about them. So. Jason? I'm Jason. Uh, I think... Antinatalism is bad. Kids are good. Uh, I like, I'm sympathetic to a lot of the philosophical arguments, but I think ultimately you can treat antinatalism as a kind of um, reducto ad absurdum. It's so obviously wrong that if your philosophy has gotten you to that point, then you know that your reasoning was bad. I think we should just prior say kids are good before any kind of reason steps in. Awesome. Steve? Um, so I'm, let's say, civilized. Uh, so on a personal level, I like kids. Kids are fun. I have two of them. Uh, and I think that, like, life is worth living. And, uh, overall, I'm fairly positive. Uh, on a social level, I think that's, like, every society should strive to make sure they have enough kids. And that's a bit of an issue in, well, a lot of societies in the West, the most developed ones. So if you want to survive in the long term, that should be a concern. And philosophically wise on the question, I think that it's those questions tend to be a bit too vague or um, or unclear. I'm not convinced by any reasoning around, uh, yeah, anti antinatalism. Cool. And Neophos? Right. Um, Neophos, I, I don't have a strong philosophical standpoint in it, but it, this does breach the topic of is every life worth living? And I believe that you have a moral incentive not to have children unless you can guarantee the fact that their lives will be worth living. And, of course, this will be targeted mostly at people who cannot give that guarantee, so... Alright. What about you, Sultan? Hi, I'm the Sultan of Swing. I guess my um, position on antinatalism would be somewhat... Uh, interested in exactly how it affects um, the day-to-day lives of people, but my general take on it is I think it's mostly not the true reason of people having or not deci- deciding not to have kids so much as they justify their ability or inability to have kids with uh, natalism or antinatalism. And so my general standpoint is it should be easier for people who want kids to have them. And antinatalism uh, will mostly take care of itself insofar as uh, people who don't want kids uh, generally won't have them. Got it. And Xantos, I know you have some strong opinions on this. Take it away. Yes, uh, I'm Xantos Sell. My position is basically, to echo what Neofoss said, is that if you if you can't uh, justify uh, a life to the extent that you would consider perpetuating it, 
then you failed. And I, I think, and you shouldn't then inflict that failure on, onto another being. I think that children are largely a product of, of our narcissism and our failure. And that to see that one need only look at the reasons, air quotes included, that uh, people choose to have children. Uh, and I think that if you do that, you'll quickly come to the conclusion, as long as you do it with clear eyes, that there's there's actually no justification possible and that we should let the earth be silent after us. All right. And... My own position is that, uh, first of all, I'm Tracing Woodgrains, or Trace. My own position is that having children is the single most meaningful thing that the vast majority of people will do in their lives. It is the most likely way to uh, add good in the world. And if your own life is in any way worth living, and I hold that the vast, vast majority of lives are in the end worth living, then having kids has a multiplicative effect on that and ends up doing enormously more good for the world than almost anything else you could conceive of doing. Um, so I am very strongly natalist, and I believe that antinatalism is one of the most destructive and dangerous philosophies to um, to be intellectually fashionable. I don't think it's popular enough in broad society to be that much of a popular concern, except in as much as people tend to excuse not having uh, many kids. But I think that, in general, it is something that needs to be staunchly opposed and spoken out against. So that gives an idea of everyone's starting points. I guess a good point to start out is, I believe no one here other than Civ has kids, right? Let's say civilized. I think you're the only one with kids. So could you go ahead and start out just telling us from the perspective of... Could you of, describe children to us? Yes, describe, describe children. What is a child? Describe waking up early because they are screaming. Describe diapers, please. <laughs> no. no, that almost never happens anymore. Describe your manufacturer-suggested retail price. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just basically, if you could give a brief uh, introduction to your own experience of having children and what what that's been like for you. Well, I mean, uh, I guess I'm, I've, I've been very lucky in that I have a decent enough income and I have family that can help me around, so I didn't have some of the worth issues. Uh, meaning that both my parents and my wife's parents are around to help for kids. Um, the, but overall, I've been pretty happy with my kids. I had a bunch of like, there's a lot of very tiring episodes, especially the first couple years. And when I've heard people complain about their kids, it's almost inevitably the first couple years, or maybe even the first six months, because those hit a lot with sleep. But actually, you tend to really completely forget about all that, unless somebody comes and tells you about it. Like, it's a bit like you remember everything about college, but you remember nothing about the early years of your kids. Except maybe the good things. And then you have another kids and you remember, oh yeah, now I remember all the, the diapers and stuff. But it like disappears from your memory. It's like a, just a, 
a bit yeah, weird. Yeah, it's a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we uh, we sort of hide that and never tell it to other parents, lest we like scare them into not having kids and like society dies off. Uh, but now that my kids are much better, uh, that we've like trained them to help around the house and all that, uh, they're much more fun and interesting and ask a lot of questions about everything. Uh, so it's they're a lot of fun and nice. But even when they were smaller, it was pretty nice. Like I say, two, three, two or three years old is about the t- the the time where the the effect passes from negative to positive, and then you have like I don't know, sixty more years of positive effect, eighty more years of positive e- effect or something. So very largely worth it, like on a personal level. Uh, very largely worth it, and uh, yeah, I've always wanted to have kids. Uh, my wife too, so uh, I wouldn't mind having more even. I wonder how rude you should be in response to this. Like you could easily rattle off a ton of psychological defense mechanism, and then heavily on narcissism because kids are great, because I get to ignore all the bad points, and I get to have someone that loves me unconditionally and thinks I'm smart. I, I'm going to go about seven times farther than that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, come on, my, my kids make, make fun of me all the time, or like when they criticize me. I, I tend to be fairly sarcastic, so they picked up on that, and they will make sarcastic jokes about me all the time, or whatever, so... Uh, like I think terribly, so and they don't—they're not shy about telling me that. So no, no, from an artist's point of view, uh, I mean maybe it's possible to raise your kids to be little, little. But if from what I've heard about teenagers, I haven't—I don't have a teenager yet. Uh, they're not like that obedient and all that. So, go ahead, Santos. It sounds like you had a response to that in terms of um, the emotions of parents. Yeah, so I think the place to start for me is kind of interrogating the the reason why people have have children, uh, because I think there's there's an amount a significant amount to say there, and I think people say different things, um, but I think my position is basically that no matter what they air quotes say, um, people are in the end having kids for for basically the same reason and, and one that I think is wrong. So I think I'd, I'd pose the question um, to Siv or to anyone else, like, why would you, why have children? Well, it's sort of the right thing to do uh, in that um, everybody does it. And it seems, I mean, I'm, I'm going to make it sound like extra stupid like that, because it's sort of also me acknowledging that the kind of reasoning that you give yourself are not always the right ones. But also it seems like the right thing to do in that society's got to sustain itself somebody has to have kids and since we are able to give our kids like a better comfort maybe than people who have i don't know maybe very low income or tr- troubled relationships or whatever uh and i and or they just live in countries with more problems then it's better that more kids are raised in a like loving and safe environment so so that sounds to me a little bit kind of uh, like a lie back and think of england type of uh, rationale where well I mean there's also the fact that I just like kids yeah so that that's another when I I think people generally as a rule another claim that I'm going to be advancing is basically people have children and then justify it afterwards um, and, and that, that, that's very plausible I think yeah I think that's borne out by the fact that you know there are accidental uh Pregnancies and accidental having of kids, and then that many of the reasons why people propose that they have kids uh, tend not to be, in my experience at least, 
the reasons that they would have put forward before they had kids or the things that they said were valuable before having children. Sure, I'm sure that happens. Um, maybe another case i mean ours we we like we were already married and it wasn't the case of oops the condom bro- broke but um another factor also was it's i know a lot of a fair amount of people in my family have kids like i have a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles and whatever fairly big family at least the older generations uh and they all seem very happy with their kids so that also seems like something that i would want that's a notable point right it's literally impossible to come from a culture of antinatalism. Yes. I don't, I don't, I, well, I'll put forward and say, I don't think that bears at all on the question. Okay, Jason. I would say we already do. I think the logic of um, kind of modernity, whatever the world we live in is, I mean, the reason why this position is so popular is because we're in a culture that, allows for it. There are certain kind of ideas in this culture, uh, you know, a lack of meaning to life. Suffering is the only measure to things, you know, I mean, or just, you know, people with their Funko Pops and their fur babies, etc. Um, it, it's antinatalism is a kind of unique phenomenon allowed by this culture, I think, of antinatalism. I think you could very much call it that. Well, there, there is also the fact maybe that I had like consciously rejected a philosophy of complaining about everything or finding life unfair, etc. That's something I remember rejecting in my teens, uh, which even if it seems a bit vague as a concept, uh, and somewhat divorced of the whole idea of having kids, but more of the whole idea of treating myself as a victim or something. Okay, Sultan of Swing? Yeah, I find it uh, interesting that Xantos touched on the concept of um, having kids and then justifying it to oneself. Because one thing that uh, I feel I've observed is the fact that um, people who, well, make the decision to remain child-free either uh, with or without the means to have children often uh, do come up with justifications as to why that's the best decision to themselves as well. There's the social signaling aspect in terms of going child-free to save the environment. There's this uh, sort of weird uh, self-hating aspect to some of it, like the world would be better off if there were fewer people like me in it. And that there's also the ever-present increasing atomization, that if you've got like weaker connections to family and tribe and you can't really see yourself as somebody with a future and a past and a lineage to uphold that you'd find that there's less compelling reasons to have children as a result. Well, I think Xantos is right about the aspect where there's a lot of rationalization because back in the days um, before, well, before birth control, uh, people would have kids they didn't really plan on having much more than they do now which was probably the reason that that humanity survived so long, kind of. Uh, it's more that now that doesn't really work anymore, and if you don't want to have kids, you will not have kids, which wasn't always the case. Neathos? So, so what, one of the questions I have is, it's, it's pretty semantic, but when, when Jason said, for example, that there are many 
with this ideology? How big is the antinatalism movement, really? Small. Very small. Yeah, it, it's got to be really, really small, right? In terms of absolute numbers. There are two... There are two distinct groups I want to highlight here. You have the philosophical antinatalists, the people like David Benatar, who are going out and putting really carefully constructed, here's why it is ethically wrong to have kids, um, the whole a reduction of suffering angle, a lot of things like that. And that's a relatively small movement. You have a much larger popular culture, I would say, weak antinatalist or uh, natalism apathetic group that um, you'll hear a lot of things about, oh, the planet's overpopulated, um, oh, we, uh, if you have too many kids, it's going to be bad for the climate, or I just have other priorities in life, it's okay if other people have kids, where you see a really strong trend in every developed country towards lower and lower fertility rates, and towards people having fewer and fewer kids. Um, you have increasing child-free movements, things like that. So I'd say there are two largely distinct but um, interacting with each other groups, where the small philosophical group, yeah, is a relatively tiny corner, but the, there's a popular attitude that is much more widespread. That's my own impression. Sultan. My impression is uh, the strong antinatalists, as you put them, are in large part a subset of the weak antinatalists who find that for whatever reason, uh, based on the pressures of modern life and uh, the changing situations they find themselves in, that uh, having and raising children is a bit less doable necessarily than it was in the past because of all the expectations that come with that that weren't necessarily in prior generations. I think a subset of that are going to be in the sort of in the practice of justifying that decision to themselves uh, insofar as figuring out reasons why uh, not having kids is in fact the morally best thing to do. So would, would any... Like any female above the age of 30, any male above the age of, I don't know, 35, 40, I don't exactly know, would they like be part of the soft antinatalist group? If they don't have kids? Uh, yes. Yes, I would say so. Xantos. I, I want to push back a little bit here um, because, well, I think it's it's helpful, obviously, to make these distinctions and make and kind of look at the world through these um, these lenses, right? But I think that, you know, I, I would consider myself, I think, a philosophical antinatalist, uh, but I, I disavow David Benatar and kind of that whole style uh, in extremely strong terms. Um, I think that he's got interesting ideas, but I think he's incorrect and you know, doing things for the wrong reasons, Um is, is my entire criticism, or a part, at least a large part of my criticism, of natalism. Um, and so I think that that's, def that's a distinction that needs to be made, especially in terms of uh, who is an antinatalist and for, and for what reason. I think uh, oftentimes people do things without 
having much of an explicit reason. So I I'd like to hear more about what why you think people shouldn't have kids, but it seems to me like that might be uh might be a flawed approach. I, I want I think Flashy that's that's an excellent point in terms of the fact that people um have children largely largely for no reason and then if they you know bother to they come up with a reason afterwards um i think you know there's a couple people in this in this podcast who basically argue that children are self-justifying um and i, I my claim and my position is basically that that there is a, a reason uh it's not an explicit one it's an implicit one it's a a subconscious choice if you want to put it that way um a subconscious drive and need that is motivating this and that the fact that it's subconscious is a necessary well i've said too much i can explain this more later is this coping mechanisms all the way down yes like if you have children you you just making up ad hoc reasons why you got them and if you don't have children you make up ad hoc reasons why you didn't yes obviously <laughs> Obviously, everyone is lying to themselves. Not only, basically, the, the the next, the meta level up from that is that not only is it that you you have children and then make up a reason why, it's that the children themselves are a coping mechanism. They are um, a strategy that, that you employ in order to rationalize and, and fill in something that you were missing something that's a problem do you believe in legitimate reasons for anything well we can talk about that uh, later but well I, I think it's important to answer i mean if that's your rationale then it kind of makes the topic of antinatalism irrelevant because we could be talking about any action and the only reason it's unique to your position is because it happens to be a coping mechanism and so we would just talk about if it's a cope or not while the actual reasons thing would just sort of be irrelevant. I think that that uh, having children is a is a special and excellent case of this, um, in particular because it's so widespread and so widespread widely considered to be deeply meaningful. Um, but also because I think that you know if there are if those are out there, then then I, I haven't seen them. But I think that we also have a have a moral responsibility and an ethical responsibility to if we don't have those answers, if we can't come up with a, you know, a justification that's grounded in a sense, then uh, we we shouldn't be birthing more uh, little copies of us to experience that same thing. That same um, yeah, we shouldn't be be procreating in that in that scenario jason so there's something i wanted to bring up earlier and i hope this doesn't get too abstract but i think um uh, there's a, okay there's a few things i'm trying to how do i say this um it kind of reminds me of the trolley problem in that you're you're kind of like you're you're considering there's a certain default action right because you're saying okay we can't, and forgive me if I straw man you or whatever, just please cut me off if I'm just misinterpreting this, but, you know, you can't justify anything, right? There's no reason to do anything. Uh, everything is a lie. But then one of these is a cope, therefore we shouldn't do it, right? 
And so at that point, you're, you're privileging one action over another. You're saying that we should do nothing over doing this specific thing because this specific thing is a lie, right? You're not saying that it's bad or this or that. You're just saying that we can't justify it. And there's no reason that, well, if we can't justify it, there's no reason like the burden of proof is one way or the other. And I would go further, in fact, and say that um, not having kids is really, really weird, right? It never, it just wasn't a thing for all of human history. Everybody was trying to have kids. Um, and so, you know, that we live in a point where we have this, you know, kind of strange psychology that, you know, didn't apply to, you know, 99% of the species. It, it's really weird for somebody to make psychological claims to say, oh, this default behavior is somehow narcissistic or it's lying. Or, I mean, those are all essentially biological, psychological categories, right? And so it doesn't, like, it seems like you're standing on some kind of foundation, but the, the, the I'm not seeing where that comes from if everything's a lie and you're drawing on it from, like, a weird, unnatural position. It just doesn't really add up. Well, I think first, my my first rejoinder would be that I don't think the commonality or the the unnaturalness of the position uh, should should influence its its validity, right? Uh, if there are strong arguments, then those can be in play. Um, but if the argument is just that, well, everybody else is doing this other thing, so you know, that, that that's an appeal to to uh, commonality, which I, I don't think is meaningful in this in this sense. Well, it, it's an appeal in the case of finding a default. It's not an argument. It's saying, well, if we had to say one thing is the standard thing to do and one thing is the deviation from that, then that's where you can appeal to that. Right. I, and I think that the, the one area where I think you mischaracterized me a little bit, or I would just clarify my own position, I'm not sure which one, probably the second, <laughs> um, is that I don't think that these are, in fact, like equal, and then we just have to pick one as a default. Um, I think the fact that it's a, a cope and the fact that we are uh, deceiving ourselves makes it uh, bad, makes having uh, children uh, an unethical choice. It's not choosing between two uh, equal states. One of them is, is, is problematic, and um, we shouldn't go, we should not. Um, we shouldn't privilege either of them. We should choose the one that's not problematic. Right, Flashy. I uh, I don't want to derail you if you were um, going to go somewhere interesting, but I am curious what you'd say <laughs> if I said. Got him. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Another interesting thing, uh, but I am curious what you would what you would say if I said, "All right, I've introspected and I've decided the reason I would like to have children is they're kind of neat. I like them, so I'm going to go do it now." Is that is that legitimate then in your view? No. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, just just no. Uh, I mean. I think I think the lies go all the way down, right? And the masks, it's masks all the way. Um, and that if you if you have if if you have an answer that's not a a, a mask, that's not uh, a cope in that sense, then you should write a book and become the greatest philosopher of the potentially ever. So, there's one thing I want to highlight in your position and in your statement, Xantos. 
which is a lot of it to me feels like it centers around this idea that people do these things with the goal of pursuing meaning where you're treating meaning as a feeling in this sense. I want to highlight and point out that um, it's not exactly like that. Like the people who are looking to pursue meaning in that sense, there is no wirehead or anything like that that would give a particular feeling where they would be like, ah, yes, this is the meaning I was searching. That when people are talking about that sort of meaning, they're talking about the idea of it as an indicator of something beyond yourself. That is, they're not pursuing meaning because, oh, it will make me feel meaningful. They're pursuing meaning saying, I have highlighted and identified this thing that I believe will make a worthwhile impact on things outside myself, and it takes its meaning on only to the degree that the outside world is, in fact, impacted like that. I think that's... Uh, I, I think I just dis- I disagree. Um, the fact that there's there's no... We ultimately... You're like, yes, you're rooting meaning uh, in external value, right? Or, or people are. But, I mean, we ultimately experience the world and the outside outside value uh in in ourself within ourself so to say that there's there's no possible wirehead uh, i think it's just it's just untrue but that's 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 orthogonal to our to our actual conversation here today no hold on so when you say there's no wirehead that uh like that would be is actually true do you mean that if someone was actively experiencing that uh it would not be true, or that they would, consciously choosing in advance, not be able to resist the siren call of some meaning-dumping wirehead. Because I think it is true that you could, you could create this hypothetical simulation where, okay, you're hooked up in this thing where you think you're having some impact, but you're actually not. Haha, you're pursuing this uh, internal emotion. But when people are consciously looking at it and consciously choosing it, they're not pursuing that. That would be a failure state. If that was pointed out to them, they'd be like, well, it would suddenly lose everything that it had. As soon as it was pointed out that it was ephemeral, it would lose it. What people are pursuing then is not that feeling. What people are pursuing is... That that feeling is a marker of what they're pursuing, but... No, I think that they are pursuing... the. I think it's a veil of ignorance problem where uh, in if you obviously show them the state where the person has the actual impact on the world if that's the I think that's a good example to use and then versus a, a wire-headed state where they just feel that they have the impact I think um, when looking at those two then obviously they would you know the person would choose the one where they had the impact um, but in the actual two scenarios you would not be able to distinguish between the two only in the sense of, again, hypothetically, if you were hooked up to some situation that was actively deceiving you into thinking something was going on. But as soon as that deception fell, it would all retroactively lose any shred of that feeling that it had. As soon as people realized 
the external thing was not actually happening. And, and that's my point. That that feeling, ultimately, they care about that feeling only as a means to an end. And the end is the actual thing that people are tracking. And I don't think you can abstract that away and say, no, actually, the means is the thing that they're hoping for. They're not. They're hoping for that external end, and the feeling is something that comes along with it. Well, I disagree with that. I think that the feeling is ultimately what they're tracking. Um, but in any case, I think it's an apt, that's an apt example uh, because, you know, to echo back what was said earlier with Sultan and others, is that uh, modernity and kind of we are living in a time where you have this increasing slowly, small, minority um, antinatalist movement. But I think that's becoming more prominent uh, because many of these, these veils are being ripped away and many of the external values that people thought they were tracking are, are being revealed for what they are. Um, I think it's earlier, there was a lot of kind of like rationalization accusations thrown out of like people who have children. And I think the philosophical antinatalism movement is really just the same thing for child-free people. I think it's um, people who are essentially, um, you know, too kind of lazy and impotent and lacking a will to have children. And so um, a philosophy comes along and tells them that everything they're doing is perfectly okay. Um, and there's philosophies justifying everything, right? Bestiality, pedophilia among, you know, French intellectuals. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I think, and, you know, even if philosophy is true, it's, you know, things generally don't get popular because they have some kind of, like, argumentative, rational way things get popular based off um, essentially fads, right? It's just whatever the culture happens to like, whatever the incentive structure in academia happens to be, which is for careerism and funding and looking good. And so if antinatalism is rising as a movement, it doesn't really tell us anything about whether or not it's true or if any real values are being discovered. It's more about just kind of Funko Pops and fur babies, essentially. Go ahead, Siv. I was saying same goes for natalism. If natalism becomes more popular, it's natural selection. People have that are pro-natalism have more kids. Sultan? Yeah, and I would agree with Jason, uh, at least in the fact that uh, by my estimation, modern society, for lack of a better word, is rather poorly suited uh, towards having and raising children in that the uh, life paths that we expect uh, the majority of people to s sort of embark down don't really leave sufficient space to really devote to childbearing and child-rearing and that uh, as a result a lot of people are in the business of justifying that to themselves. I think the uh, one thing that uh, could probably most effectively reduce antinatalism uh, in both the strong and weak forms would be to facilitate all the steps that lead to stronger families by whatever means that may take. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that completely. If you made people's lives uh, more pleasant, then people would have more children um, because they would be... No, hold on. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You disagree with that, really? I No, I 100% disagree. If you make people's lives more pleasant, they will have more children. Do you know where people have more children? Do you know when people have had more children? Throughout human history, our lives have never been more pleasant in an abstract, 
uh, let's go have fun sort of way than they are in 21st century developed countries. There has never been a time where there are more ways to have fun or easier ways to have fun, easier, pleasant approaches to life than right here and right now. And at that point is the point where people have fewer children than they have ever had before. Well, meanwhile, in developing countries and throughout history, people have had huge amounts of children in objectively really unpleasant situations. I think it is fundamentally and deeply untrue that making life more pleasant leads people to have more children. I, I, I actually agree with that. A pleasant, pleasant was the wrong word. Uh, I meant something, something beyond, beyond that, but your point is well taken. I wonder if that would still be true if you controlled for birth control. I also wonder that, but... Yeah, I think a useful distinction we might make here is in terms of uh, stability of life with regards to access to the means to support oneself, food, shelter, all the... Maslow's hierarchy of needs versus stability in cultural institutions, the sort of um, societal factors that allow people to be in a good position to start families, to meet people, to get married, to have children, to raise children. Jason. I think some of the confusion is that we currently measure psychological well-being or like we think of pleasant through um, proxies of old things that used to make things pleasant, right? So like, you know, having infinite food and ridiculous amounts of money and, you know, television and magic phones and all the different things that we have nowadays, Um, anybody from you know, not in modernity, hearing those things, they would just think these are obviously good. And, but at the same time, I don't think this is a place in time in history you would necessarily want to wirehead into. We aren't in an environment that we're necessarily suited to, right? Um, you know, it's like, uh, like I just bought a fish and I've been reading about the proper amount to feed it. And most people's fish die very early because they just like, they, you know, they pour a few things of, you know, food in, the fish keeps eating and eating and eating, and they think, wow, my fish is really hungry, so they keep giving it more, and then their fish gets bloated and it dies, because their fish doesn't have, like, it's not evolved to deal with an environment with that much food, right? They're used to eating scarce meals, their uh, stomachs are about the size of their eyes, and we're essentially like that with all of these comforts, is that we don't, you know, we have all the things that on paper, that yes, we have an infinite amount of everything, it should be very pleasant, quote-unquote, but since we're not designed for it, then at least psychologically, just from the perspective of sheer affects, if we're just going for an idealist internal state, then um, people are miserable. And I, I think, um, well, I don't know, I haven't actually looked at the data in a while, um, but I know there's like incidents of like, if you compare, uh, like if you look at like certain like tribal societies that are still around, right? So these are people that just like live in the jungle with like loincloths and they go around like hunting all day in the sun and like they speak in clicks. Like, like these people are still around. There's like, you know, maybe like a couple hundreds of the societies around there. And if you look at like incidents of essentially depression, mental illness, just how unhappy they are, um, none of that really exists in those cultures. Everybody's just 
always happy all the time. They don't really, and sure, they're dying of diseases and, you know, all these terrible, you know, their lifespan's super short and their lives are super hard and they don't know when they're going to get their next meal. But that's psychologically satisfying enough that if we're just going by a measure of quote unquote pleasant, their lives are more pleasant than ours in a lot of ways. And I think that's precisely the thing that makes people not want to have kids. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't realize, Jason, that we agreed on everything except for the most important, uh, fundamental answer. This is this is excellent. I think we established that. Uh, yeah, I, I actually did realize that, but it's still worth noting. Those tribes are also the only place that pass. I remember reading about some of them having an actual zero percentage suicide rate. Like literally, no one ever commits suicide, compared to modern. Western countries where suicide rates are flourishing. This takes me to a question I'd like to pose to the group, um, and it's related to one of the articles that was shared in the show chat uh, before, um, Is Life Worth Living? by William James, which is for the people here, because I think this is something essentially tied to antinatalism, is the question of if life is worth living, is whether the people in this group feel like their own life is and has been worth living. Um, just in a general sense. Okay, Xantos, so? So I'll say something to start just on the quickly before we, we dive in on the William James. I think it's a fantastic um, article and I encourage anyone, everyone, anyone and everyone to read it. Um, my disagreement with James is that I think I think he fails at the end, as as does um, as does everyone. I don't think he has he has the answer to that question because I don't think that question can be answered, and I think that that's telling. But it is notably part of the uh, thesis for the episode because if life isn't worth living, then your children's lives will most likely not be worth living either. So you shouldn't get them. Most likely. Well, I mean, I, I think necessarily, but that's that's a larger philosophical contention. All right, Siv. Because there's one position that this life is not worth living, period, and that the, the, the world should go dark, which is like a rare one. And there's the other question of, will your kid's life be worth living, or will they be better than the average? I think if we're talking about the question of will your children's life be worth living, then we are kind of back on... The problem of oh, we just need to tinker with the world a little bit, and you know, change some cultural mores, and maybe have a little bit more, you know, in terms of material goods, and also change social structures a little bit, and then we're all good. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I don't think that, that, I think yes. that's just not true. Is a life in a good circumstance more worth living than one in a bad circumstance? I don't know inherently that I would grant that. Um, I think you're going there, full camus, uh, Trace. No, I mean, I mean, if anything, I'm going um, full. Oh my gosh, blanking on the name right now. Full Frankel. Yeah. If anything, I'm going full oh, Frankel. Oh no. Yeah. Where oh, I think no. I think it's really, really insightful and important to look at the words and the thoughts of people in some of the worst circumstances that anyone has faced, and Frankel is one of the most famous to have done that in. Uh, Man's Search for Meaning, where he uh, outlined his own experiences in Nazi prison camps uh, during the Holocaust. And I think 
it is very hard for me to read things like that and come away thinking, yes, my life is clearly more worth living than the life of someone who has faced down experiences like that. Even in the moment of facing those things down, I think it is really easy to note that there are many, many people like Frankel who have stared the pinnacle of evil down, the pinnacle of miserable, wretched circumstance down, and said, yes, it is still worth holding to life, even at a time like this. Um, and I don't know that me being in a more comfortable position puts me in a position to say, therefore my life is more worth living than that. I think we've... I, I wish I had my copy of Man's Search for Meaning. Excellent book um, with me. But I, I think that Frankel, just for all of his truly, you know, amazing, exactly what you said, Trace, um, I, I think that he doesn't doesn't have the answer either. Um, and there's, there's a... a, a quotation towards the end of the book which I'm, I'm going to butcher as I recall it from memory or maybe we can just edit it in in post we'll just get the right words in there but he has a he has a patient whose wife has died and you know he's getting therapy from from Frankel and Frankel says something to him of the effect that uh, would you want um, your wife to have to live on after after you died and his patient says no of course not and Frankel says so you are bearing the burden for her and this is written as like as a relevatory you know this was this was exactly what this man needed to hear and my, my reaction upon reading that was that that makes no sense that that's 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 terrible advice uh, it, it only is effective because not even a second of you know analytical thought is going to be Scrutin it's not going to be scrutinized at all. And I think that that is a microcosm of the of kind of the larger process, of the larger uh, thought thought process. In that if you scrutinize closely, um, it's just it's just piercing and all the way down. Well, hold on. You keep saying if you scrutinize closely, but I think in that moment the man thought he was scrutinizing it closely and felt the same way you feel you're scrutinizing it closely, he felt he had not been considering it deeply enough, scrutinized it more deeply, and came to a conclusion that it was more meaningful. Your proposition is that you can scrutinize yet... Right, you, your proposition is you can scrutinize yet more deeply and figure out, oh no, it's actually meaningless. No, no, no. Uh, well, yes in a certain yes, sense and no in another sense. No, that yes, is. Yes, that is. is your proposition. I think and that if I was... If I, if I was truly had great powers of scrutiny, then I wouldn't be sitting here, you know, talking with you, would I? Well, I, I'm not saying like you have the most powers of scrutiny. I'm saying you're, or I'm not saying you're claiming that. I'm saying your idea is that if people really look at it and really strip away all the deception, they would figure out, oh shoot, actually life isn't worth living. But I think you have enough evidence built up of people who have taken either one 
deep dive or another and come to very many different conclusions, that it's dangerous to say, yes, if you really scrutinize it deeply, you'll find out, no, I, I, I don't think you can make that claim. But I think actually that the, that, that you know, lends some, sort, some amount of credence to my position that people have you know, scrutinized and dove deep, delved deep, and come up with keyword different conclusions that there are many different uh, justifications and rationales, um, which to me sounds like there either nobody has come to the quote actual quote one, or that there isn't an actual uh, one to be had, that there's just uh, endless masks all the way down. I'll tell you what that sounds like to me. It sounds like you looking at a career fair and saying, how odd it is that all of these people come here and one person concludes that it's best to be a nurse and one person concludes that it's best to be a banker and clearly there must be no actual career because not everyone can come and find the same career path. There must not be an actual good career for people to go on. I think there is no reason to expect that everyone would come to the same one correct conclusion about this is why my life is meaningful, because fundamentally the world is not one where everyone is in a position to or would have good reason to walk exactly the same path, uh, philosophically or um, in actual action. Well, I would take issue with the idea that everyone is arriving at different correct uh, conclusions, but I think we've we've strayed uh, slightly, and it's worth returning to uh, having having children specifically as as a microcosm of this larger problem. Sultan, yeah, just to tie it back somewhat to all this discussion on meaning, I would say that once again. It's my impression that um, modern life generally tends to be very good at giving um, young people who, uh, under other circumstances, would be looking at uh, having kids, it's very good at providing them with reasons not to do so, and very poor at uh, providing them with compelling reasons to do so. And, like, the reasons not to do so are, like, they're a massive investment of time, of money, that, uh, like, your peak childbearing years tend to be some of the most critical years for career building, and that uh, taking multiple years off, or just with reduced hours to look after children, is going to impact your ability to move forward in your career in a way that can't necessarily be recovered afterwards, and that, uh, on the whole, we do live in a, broadly speaking, antinatalist culture, insofar as it's one that, uh, essentially provides a lot of reasons not to have children, and very few compelling reasons to have children. Is, is this a bit of the chicken and egg? Because is a large part of the reasons to have kid is because they force you to find a meaning in life, right? Because if 
if you have children and you, you can't find any meaning in life and you just commit suicide, then you have failed much worse than if you just committed suicide or became a drunk or whatever, just fucked up your life. So having children forces you to find some sort of meaning in your life because you have to you have to be a role model for your children. Unlike just, you know, watching we are porn all day, which you also should do. I think that that's it's excellent that we've looped around, Siv, because that is I think a central my my contention is that uh, having children doesn't force you to find meaning. Having children is you forcing yourself to have meaning and that the children are the the injection of meaning and purpose into your life when you can't find it elsewhere. When you should force yourself. I find that pretty implausible from a like evolution evolutionary psychology point of view in that like it seems more simple that we're hardwired to want to have kids rather than, than that we're hardwired to find meaning and that we happen to try to have kids as a way to do that. Like I whatever subconscious thing we're trying to rationalize probably bottoms out on that having kids rather than something like looking for meaning. Did, did anybody read, um, uh, what is it called? It's like uh, Two Arms, One Head, I think it's called. Yes, it's like, yes. Yeah. yes. Um, the paraplegic, yes. Well, and I mean, I'm not, I, I don't even know that I finished it, and I, I can't remember like his exact argument, but I just, I, I, I'm struck by, I think not having children is almost comparable to being an amputee and just how unnatural it is, like just how not wired we are. Like I think I imagine most parents would rather um, lose their limbs horribly than have any of their children die or not have their kids. You know, it's 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 so fundamental that to say that, oh, we are hardwired to have kids, you know, gives us meaning. That's a big understatement, I, I think, you know, and if it's plausible that you know, anybody who um, becomes an amputee will suddenly start thinking, well, everything is horrible and it's meaningless and I, you know, I just need to die or whatever. That's clearly going to um, bias them in favor of that outlook. Or maybe they're right. Maybe some um, lives are worth living and some are not. And that one specifically is clearly not worth living because they're suffering so much. Um, I think it's just biologically speaking. I mean, just the, 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 the penis is more important than the arms. I'd rather lose one than the other. Uh, it's just it's more meaningful than this thing that will obviously cause me to kill myself, right? Is not having kids, and so, and I think you know, just modernity, the child-free stuff. It just I think we kind of we have a very warped perspective of just how significant kids are, and and so I mean, if we're going to go down the psychologism, the evil psych route, um, I think we should really just give credence to the magnitude of it psychologically, because it is not trivial. It is not some abstraction. It is the. Uh, deepest human behavior we have, you know, it, it, is, it is the core of our being, is children. So, a lot of this loops back around again to this point of pursuing meaning. Um, and there's a, that earlier conversation about Frankel reminded me of a quote from Frankel that I've pulled up with it, that I think really cuts to the heart of what I was trying to say earlier. He says, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you are going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue, and it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself, or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Happiness must happen, and the same holds for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. 
So, essentially, what I'm driving at here is as soon as you talk about people are trying to pursue meaning by having kids, you're missing the point entirely. You can't, you, you can't do it like that, essentially. You can't find success in those routes by saying, yes, I want to find meaning. The meaning comes as a byproduct of doing something that goes beyond yourself. Exactly. I don't I think this this supports my position. Well, no, in that your position and what Neophos was Neophos was saying keeps drilling into people are doing this and it forces them to find meaning, forces them to do things like that. My point is that meaning isn't the point. Meaning's the byproduct. And if you're focusing on meaning as the point, you're not reaching towards the actual point that people are reaching towards when they talk about meaning. Neil? Do, do, do you guys remember the, the priest and the thousand day, days thing? That was a long time ago, like ten years or so. It was this priest, and he lost his wife, and she had said something once about if Romeo had waited for a thousand days, he would have killed himself when he saw that Juliet was dead. So when his wife died, he decided to spend a thousand days finding meaning in life, and then he didn't, and he killed himself. And if he had had children, his was an explicit search for meaning, and he didn't manage it. He also stopped being religious at the same time, so yeah, trad people will have all the fun in the world with that. But but I suppose if he had had children, because he was reasonably antinatalist before that, he was, I think, 30-something and didn't have kids. If he had had children, he would have been able to find meaning before killing himself. But because he didn't have children and he explicitly tried to search for meaning, he couldn't find any. Yeah, I suspect if he had, if he had had kids, he maybe wouldn't even thought about this whole meaning thing, which is something I don't really relate to either. Jason, well, Xantos keeps bringing up kind of like uh, something that like it can't be justified with like rational analysis, and I don't really like if you can't if everything's a lie and you can't justify anything then. Why should anybody care about rational analysis? And and also, I mean, if ra- if reason is just, I mean, if okay, suppose there's no God, um, which is obviously false, um, and reason is just uh, <laughs> uh, just kind of an evolutionary byproduct, right? It's just kind of this um, emulation of our deeper subconscious that can you know carry out certain. Uh, algorithms for logic, right? And they may or may not correspond to something true, right? Because that's almost certainly the case, given, you know, we're evolved. There's no, there's no reason why our perception or reasoning is any kind of sense uh, special or uniquely attuned to truth and finding things, if this is all just a, you know, chance occurrence, then um, there's no reason to privilege, quote-unquote, rational analysis over anything. It could just be that um, your mind is incapable of seeing the things which your heart can just take for granted, right, is that maybe the mind is just a, a tool, maybe in thinking and being quote-unquote rational, you presuppose that there is no meaning or that, you know, you, you presuppose a kind of mechanistic picture where everything can only be a lie because there's no foundation there, and thus you will never get to a conclusion because your methodology is wrong. But that doesn't actually prove anything, right, because I, I think 
And I, I think what's much stronger evidence is just the um, obvious experience of meaning in childbirth and just the like actual healthy human life, which is just normally existing. And I think I'm, you know, maybe I'm appealing to popular sentiment again, but it is, uh, you know, the what the human is is a thing that has kids, and to deviate that is from that because you can't quote unquote reason. Well, reason's a kind of secondary category for autistic weirdos that you know happen to go to university or whatever. It's not like a normal human behavior to sit around and think about things. People just kind of fuck, and then kids emerge sometime later, and it's like, oh god, now I have to feed it, or else I feel bad, and that just it just keeps going. You know, there's no justifications. Uh, kind of a western privileged weird thing to do it's like it's like trying to justify like why should i eat or like should i keep breathing right now like it just doesn't it's a nonsensical question most people actually should justify if they should eat Uh, i think jason my my immediate response to that um that i want to get in before i forget it is to quote frankel again um again paraphrasing him uh, he he has a section in his book where he really lays out clearly that he thinks there is a minute to minute, second to second, instant to instant uh, reason reason to live, and that if you don't have that, then you're you're in trouble. Um, and so I think that that that's would be basically one part of my answer would be, yeah. I mean, a minute to minute reason to live sounds like a kid. <laughs> Has anybody here seen Eraserhead? The uh, baby in that movie is yeah. a reason not to have kids. <laughs> in terms of uh, possible worst uh, potential outcome of accidentally conceiving or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't dare to have babies because of Alien. The movie that doomed Western civilization. <laughs> How many people have heard from their parents that they are the best thing that happened to their parents, yet they think nothing of the same? Like, I have never considered my parents to be very important in terms of you brought me to life, therefore you matter. But I have suddenly heard my father say that I brought you to life, therefore... I matter because you are a great thing. How many people have, like, that sort of sentiment is really common, I suppose. Exactly. It's hardwired. I don't think I've heard it. I, that's an exceedingly odd sentiment to me that I can't quite wrap my head around. Really? Really. Maybe it sounds more natural in Swedish. Well, actually, I think that makes sense to me with my understanding of Trace's position, being that Trace is, uh, you know, finding the meaning of you know, grounding the value in something outside of of the self, um, as we kind of talked about earlier. So that, that that kind of sentiment wouldn't necessarily apply in that instance. But just a really minor tangent, um, evolutionarily, like, so your parents, quote-unquote, care about you because you have 50% of uh, their genes and you have 50% of theirs, right? But they're old, and so they're less likely to have more kids while you're young and are probably going to have a lot more kids than they will in the future. So in terms of just the gene spreading it's suboptimal for them to invest in themselves at that point or for you to invest any resources in them because they're unlikely to keep propagating the genes, right? The optimal strategy from the genes' point of view is to put all resources into the youngest member that can have the most future kids. So that's why your grandparents fucking love you and you kind of care about them, not really. Um, That's just kind of a human universal. 
the giving tree strategy. Right. And so, like, from that perspective, like, that sort of uh, instinctive feeling makes sense. But from a considered perspective, I think, um, the, like, yeah, from a perspective, anything uh, beyond just simple, this is how I feel about it, um, your parents are de facto and essentially um, inescapably the most important people uh, in your life. Like, you can trace out the influences in your life. You can trace out uh, this person did this thing, this person created this culture that helped me, this is my favorite author, this is my favorite TV show, these are the people who worked on it, this is the food I eat, these people created it, this is the president of my country, whatever. You can lay out this person had such and such influence. This person had such and such influence. This person hosted the bootleg episode of a podcast. Yes. Um, so I'm the second, I'm about the third most important person in all of your lives because of this bootleg podcast. And then right after Trace is, is Jesus. But the most important person... Is Trump. Inescapably is Trump. <laughs> and the second most important are your parents. Um, but... Inescapably. Wow, they have to share a slot. <laughs> well, Trump slot, Trump slid in there, so he uh, he had to take slot one before it was, you know, uh, one of your parents, probably your mother, at number one, then your father at number two, but Trump slid them both down to number two. Um, they just slid into anyway, your DMs. The art of the deal, baby. The, the point being that, so I understand the feeling of, oh yeah, I don't care that much about my parents, but. Um, from just a standpoint of who actually had influence on your life, it is completely inescapable that your parents are the most essential people in your life. And that, yeah. Yeah, that's all. That's from the if not but for them uh, fact of your existence. Well, here here we can... Here we can loop back to, to David Benatar a little bit, who I, I think is right for the wrong reasons. And Well, maybe that's actually too much of a tangent. We shouldn't. Neophos, you and I's, our contention is, is essentially that if you, if you can't justify yourself to yourself, then you have absolutely no business or right um, to, to essentially create yourself again. I suppose I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that contention. I just think the vast, vast majority of people now and in the past and forever can, in fact, and do justify themselves to themselves and do without even thinking about it. It's that it's one of the most fundamental human instincts is the self-justification that I matter. Yeah, but suicide rates are going up, and suicide is pretty much the ultimate symptom of I don't really matter. Sure. So I could agree that suicidal people can credibly say, Life is not worth living, thus my children's lives would not be worth living. Right. They, they have given a credible signal that they believe their own life is not worth living. I think everyone who is not suicidal and... With suicide rates going up, it's still important to remember that is still a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of people. So th- this building is seven stories high, Trace. Can I go win the argument right now? 
oh, this this got dark fast. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think life is, for the most part, and for almost everyone, self-justifying. I think that I, I mean, that's probably where we would disagree, right? That's the root of it, and the root of why you're a natalist and and I'm not. I don't think that is the root. I, I think the root is that those people are wrong. I think that if you're <laughs> suicidal, I mean, I think some. I mean, maybe there can be legitimate reasons for it, but I think the vast majority of suicidal people are just um, they have fucked up brains that are making them want to do something dumb. And that's it. I mean, it's like people who are afraid of water or something like that. It's just a deeply irrational instinct that comes from um, broken biology, physiology, whatever. And you can fix it with drugs and shocking them and telling them certain algorithms for how to think and such. And that makes suicide reliably go away for most patients. I mean, once you get far enough down the treatments, it's not a... I don't think it's necessarily something that needs to be entertained. I think we should take it very seriously and engage with suicide and that it's a an important question. I think most people are better for grappling with it. Um, but I think there is a right and wrong answer. I think to say that just because somebody feels that way, therefore it's okay for them to murder themselves or that, you know, somehow justify it. That's, it's wrong. It's wrong for people to kill themselves. It's also wrong for people to not have kids. Um, there's just, there's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live. And that's just, that is how things are. Well, exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll, I think that you can, Yes, obviously that's that's true that most people uh, who are in that situation are are in it because of some form of uh m- call it mental illness, call it whatever whatever you want. Um but I think you can also approach it from the other side. You know, you can look at somebody like Camus who is uh, you know, has the idea that the the fu- the foundational question, the fundamental question um is one is suicide and is can we, you know, hold hold back that? Uh, can we justify holding back that? To be or not to be. My yes, exactly. My my contention is basically that the answer to that question is is no. However much uh, you you want to, is that true? Flashy. Sorry, is that that it's pronounced Camus? Siv, can I get can I get yes. the French perspective? It is it is pronounced Camus. 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 Okay, I'm gonna say it once so that Yassine can edit it back in over my mispronunciation. <laughs> Let's make more work for Yassine. Camus. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Got him. Yassine, go back and fix that in post. Cameo. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll clean it up in post. There's a French U sound that doesn't exist in English. Er. It's not Camus. We'll just have, we'll have Camus. We'll dub, Yassine will dub you saying it over me. <laughs> That's how it'll work. No, I was just thinking if is honor killings in any way connected to the natalism antinatalism? Because part of, of antinatalism, natalism is, of course, if your children's life will be worth living. And honor killings is. Have your children's lives so far been worth living? Because honor is an important part of life. So, I don't know. I don't know if you well, can spin that into a tangent. I just thought about it. <laughs> that goes to what Trace was saying, right? With, you know, uh, finding finding meaning in an external sort of sense where you're grounding it now in, in honor rather than 
self-justifying, as as Jason put it. I deem I think those two things are intentional. You have not led a meaningful life so far. Let's start over. I mean, I think there. Are, um, the example of martyrdom comes to mind, just where it's like you you love something outside of yourself so much that you're willing to die for it. Um, that's kind of the high point of morality, and that's kind of you can contrast that with suicide, which is that you you know you kind of you hate the world so much that you just want to destroy it all and destroy all perception of it. Um, is that there are Based. certain cases where you know out of uh, finding something deeply meaningful, you can you know, life is then less important, right? I mean, uh, I, I didn't even buy that life is self-justifying necessarily. I'm just trying to avoid a conversation about God. But um, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, that's a form of self-justification. That's... Well, I think God's tautological, so it, kind of, it becomes a self-justification thing anyways. It kind of like it's all reductionist, but... Uh, exactly. The, we don't uh, need to have that tangent. No, we don't. Um Xantos's core argument and his whole worldview, I feel like we never actually like delve deep <laughs> enough to justify any of it. I think it's kind of like it was always a, you know, okay, well, if you delve deep into this, it's bad. Or like, if you look at this, it's all lies. But then like the reason why it's lies is never explained. The delving is never really explained. It's just kind of assumed that it is lies. And then we kind of go on with it. Um, also, like, reasons... I'd point you... Go ahead. I'd point you to thousands and thousands of years of written traditions attempting to answer uh, these these fundamental questions and all coming to different failed answers. Well, but I mean, that doesn't prove anything, right? I mean, for example, um, you disagree with Benatar, uh, Nephos likes Benatar, right? So there's two different ways of justifying antinatalism, and they're both different, but they come kind of to the same conclusion. Um, that there are different answers to things doesn't mean anything. It just means that some people are wrong, Correct. or that maybe there are different answers, but it doesn't, like, there needs well, to be a justification for the points. Yeah. But like, I mean, if you're going to say like David Benatar, if you're going to say everything is a lie, like you need to like, okay, what is a lie? Why should I care about lies? Why is this a lie? Like, I don't think any of those questions were really addressed at all. I mean, I think we, you and I have, well, I think you and I have different, uh, kind of Ouroboros worldviews, right? Where yours is, is self-justifying in, in a, you know, in a circular way. And so, and so is mine. Um, they're, they're just... They ground though they 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 start the the Ouroboros in different places. So you're starting from the presupposition that everything's a lie. That's just what you assume. No, I, I think that I haven't seen any. I would love to see evidence to the contrary that could really show me in a in a deep and meaningful sense that there is something deep and meaningful out there. Oh, okay, so then you're starting with a presupposition that you need evidence for things, that you need to be shown things to believe things, that you need to, it's good to believe certain things and not other things, right? You Correct. start with and that, that and then with that methodology, you go on to lies or not lies. But somehow this is exempt from being a lie. Uh, I don't think it's exempt. I think that that the fact that that, well, first I'll, I'll address the first half and say that I think yes, and that's one, one area where I disagree with somebody like, like Kierkegaard. For example, who says that we can't answer these questions through reason? Um, and my response would basically be that if we can't answer these through reason, um, then we, we can't answer them at all. So and, I would say Kierkegaard's and, and answer. I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. You know, you, you can go ahead. I'll save my second half later. No, well, I shouldn't cut you off. Go ahead. Um. Okay. Shit. Now I've lost the the thread. Sorry. 
Uh, it's okay. Go ahead. It'll it'll come back to me, or it okay. won't. And- okay. Okay. Well, so just the way, and I, I don't even know if this is necessarily Kierkegaard's answer, but this is kind of a way of kind of roughly what he's saying, or kind of along similar lines, is that, um, you know, that something isn't rational does not make it irrational. There are certain things that are super rational, right? Is that rationality is not necessarily the highest category of thinking or justifying things. It's just kind of the thing we happen to have access to. Um, you know, exactly. But there can be things above rationality. There can be things, you know, um, and, and I would say just justifying rationality itself is one of them is that it's a closed system. And if we're going to buy into it, at some point, we have to go to these circular justifications to get the whole logical artifice to kind of make any sense within itself. And it's always going to break down at some point. And I think either our options are to throw everything out or to say, well, there's some higher thing that we can pick. And so we would call those super rational. We would call those above reason. Um, that's not a reason to just well, reject Well, actually, everything. I think there's a third option, Jason. Mm-hmm. I think that so that, so you're, the option A is you know, throw everything out. Option B is um, pick some, basically have something be super rational and grounded everything else in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the third option is basically, you know, epistemology is a, is a is an open field and not one that has, looks in any sense to be there. There aren't going to be you know strong answers coming out of there anytime soon. Um, how do you know what you know? And, st- and questions like that are difficult if they're answerable at all. And so I think that the third option is to do your best and then privilege. Um, the conception or the, the methodology that you have for examining the world um, that you use, that is yourself. Right. Like I think that, I think maybe one of our, our key points of disagreements would be that I identify my oh, privileging conception. <laughs> um, one of our, our key disagreements might be that, I identify the, the core of my myself with um, with the reason with my mm-hmm. my faculty of reason um, and not with my my other kind of like animal self if you want to make that distinction or my the, the other portions yeah. so I think I think we did actually get to like a nice root of the issue here because I think if you do that I mean you're essentially admitting that um, I mean, there's no way to convince you otherwise. This is always going to happen because, I mean, I, I don't think reason can. I'm like, if we're assuming that reason exactly. can justify yes, all the options, but we're, I mean, we're in agreement. But then, obviously, the answer here is simply to not identify with your reason. Um, reason is just kind of a tool within your psyche. It's like clear, like you know, like the experience of thinking or reasoning is just kind of like one minor part of who you are. You have some kind of experience of the world. And occasionally, like, you know, while you're looking at something or just while things are happening, thoughts just show up out of nowhere, say out of your unconscious mind, but you can't really, like, you're not controlling them. You're not doing this or that. You know, you can maybe learn certain algorithms for dealing with them or kind of, you know, uh, move yourself subtly to this behavior, that behavior, but at no point are you ever taking the direct action of quote unquote thinking or reasoning. In some sense, reasoning intentionally is um, either impossible or so indirect as to it's hard to say that this is what we should identify with personally. I think the issue is that you are using reason uh, to figure out what you should identify with. Um, that makes reason seem like a much more important thing than it is. But the reality is that reason is nested in something, is, you know, awareness or goodness. I think it's the heart, but it's, you know. I agree. I, I mean, I agree with, I think, almost almost everything there. I think that the, 
we're just approaching this from different um, different faculties, right? And you're going to go the super super rational route and say that there are things that the self is not the reason is not reason. Um, and I, I think I would get off the ship there. Well, the question I'd ask you directly, Xantos, is reason to what end? Well, actually, can I just before he answers that I have a zinger? Go for it. Yeah, <laughs> zing me. Uh, always time for zingers. Sorry. Uh, one is for sure right and one isn't right. We have all these things and we don't have like a methodology and it's like one's wrong, one's right, or maybe none of them are, you know, whatever. Um, but I think one way of judging which one the right one is, is that one of them um, prescribes us to eradicate the entire human race and one of them doesn't. And I think on that basis, we have um, my original topic proposal. This is a reducto ad absurdum. We know that um, if identifying with reason leads to this conclusion, then it is wrong. Reducto ad absurdum. I wonder what what field is that? Does that come from? Is that is that a tool of of of, of what uh, what methodology? It's in Genesis fourteen eight. I think. The, oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Here I was thinking that you were you were reasoning. <laughs> and now the episode is about interrogation of Santas. Well, I'm actually happy that you showed up, Neophus, because it was originally just going to be Trace and Jason and Unsaying and Siv yelling at me that, you know, I, I, I need to have kids right now because that will solve all my problems. Either that or accept Christ. No, no. Having kids won't solve your problems. Having kids will solve other people's problems. See, that's that. I want to hit on this, actually. It, well, that's Trace's contention. And that's what I think one that's an interesting thing we haven't hit on yet. Is that, you know, we've kind of hit on different flavors of antinatalism, or mine in particular, but I think there are different flavors of natalism too. And that, you know, Jason's grounding his within his, within, you know, it's self, it's self actualizing, whereas Trace's is very much seems to be uh, not, not that and grounded in something else. Is this the polite rationalist version of get laid? Well, <laughs> well, they tell me that impolitely too, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'm happy to expand my position a little bit there, um, which is essentially that I really think this is what I've been circling back to again and again this episode. I think it's bankrupt to try to pursue happiness and meaning for their own ends, I, as as their own ends. I think it's those are things that we all desire. Those are things that we all want to work towards. But as soon as you say, oh yeah, you should have kids because... Uh, or as soon as you reduce the um, natalist position to, oh yeah, you should have kids be, because it makes your life meaningful, you've missed the purpose entirely. So I guess that's where there's a useful distinction between strong and weak uh, natalism as to whether having kids is a way to make your life count for something or whether having kids is the way to make your life count for something. Right. And I mean, I think there are other ways to do it, but in a practical sense, going back to what I said earlier about that your parents are the most influential people in your life, fundamentally, um, hits a point that I think is essential, which is that it is really, really, really hard to have a more meaningful impact in lives as a whole than by having a kid. In that, and 
this is impact in either a positive or negative sense, to be clear. Right now I'm just arguing the idea of impact. That um, everyone's influence over everyone else at this point, as soon as you're looking to a worldwide scale, except for a vanishingly few people, is so diffuse and so minor um, and so spread out that it's really, really hard to pinpoint and say, yes, this that I did um, had such-and-such world-changing impact. As soon as you have a kid, you are multiplying whatever impact you would have had with whatever impact this new person who otherwise wouldn't have existed will have had. Um, and yeah, to put a to put a concrete example on that trace, I think that evokes in my mind because I agree one hundred percent. Is who who was more impactful, the admissions officer who denied Hitler from from art school, or Hitler's parents? Right. In terms of uh, a direct you know lineage. Yes, and I'm happy to look at the worst people in history and say, right, this person wouldn't have existed without their parents, because I think. So many more people than the worst people in history existed that it's easy to point out and say, oh yeah, if you have a kid, they could be the next Hitler. Well, first off, you have a lot of influence over that in terms of the degree to which kids share their parents' well, philosophies. Well, <laughs> and if you think that you are such, uh, if that your own philosophy is so bad that it is likely to lead people to be destructive to that extent, then yeah, I would say at that point you should first reevaluate your philosophy, but before that, you should not have kids. Um, Boom. We converted him. <laughs> it's been done. Yes. yes. End podcast. If, if trace, you think... Trace, quote, you should not have kids, end quote. Yes. If you think that your philosophy is in line with someone like Hitler, you're probably better off not having kids until you change that philosophy, until you change your worldview. But the opposite if you conclusion look at- follow? So, uh, sorry to cut you off, sorry? but uh, like, I mean, let's say I'm like, I'm Hitler and I want to kill all the Jews, like just for the sake of argument, right? Wouldn't the ideal thing, like assuming that I'm not going to have that much impact, wouldn't the ideal thing to be would have like 30 kids and then like indoctrinate them all into SS stuff and then tell them all to like also have 30 kids and doctrine? Like, you know, if one person can only make a small impact, right, and having kids multiplies whatever impact you're going to have then obviously, like, okay, let's say Xantos, you're an antinatalist. Well, even if you think at the, the meta level that, uh, you know, having kids is wrong and the species should be um, annihilated, at the object level, it would be good for you to have as many kids as possible and make them all hardcore antinatalists, but who also want to have as many kids as possible who are going to do this. And then um, that will multiply your ability to convince people by a thousand, because obviously it's morally right, not just for you to think antinatalism is right, but to convince us to do it and ultimately take actions that will end the species. I jump off right at the end with the morally right, because I think that there's, there's a larger moral problem looming with the creation of the children rather than just the consequentialist. Um, kind of min-max on convincing people. But otherwise, if I didn't have that that hang-up, then yes, that would be that would be the rational paperclip optimizer uh, solution. Go ahead, Sif. 
Yeah, sorry. I, I wanted to maybe go on a, a slightly different direction because there was a discussion on why people have kids in justification. And actually, I think that even if for most people life really sort of wasn't worth living, uh, maybe they should still have kids too in that the question is almost, is civilization worth preserving or is mankind worth preserving? And if the answer to that is yes then maybe we should still be having kids just so that continues. Yes. I'll also note that, you know, as we've touched on a couple of times, um, that the kind of discussion and, you know, interrogation and questions that we're proposing here are, uh, I don't want to say irrelevant to basically, but they, they're, they're not weighing on people, right? When people are actually making these decisions, um, Aren't they? I think they are. To some I'm pretty. Extent. I would. I would feel really confident telling you that my parents didn't have me as a as a way to um, consequentially optimize the future to have more people like them. They they wouldn't describe it in so many terms. Oh, so many now words, we're now we're back there. necessarily. But hold on, like now we're I back to from... my psychologizing no. at people, which Jason took such issue with. They just weren't trying hard enough. Listen to what I'm saying before you put it like that. I'm from a culture that is extraordinarily natalist, one of the most natalist cultures in the United States, Um, particularly historically. That is, I grew up uh, Mormon. And within that culture, um, I mean, even now, uh, it's unusual in that uh, more educated Mormons are more likely to have more kids than less educated Mormons which reverses the trend seen in almost every other uh, demographic group in the country. But a big, huge part of that is the concept that it is important to... Um, they, they justify it theologically with the idea of bringing souls into the world in a good position, that they are in a position where they've been granted this understanding of this truth and by bringing souls into the world who are in that position, they are uh, blessing the lives of others and creating a righteous lineage for the future would be along the lines of the phrasing that would be there. But that is different wording, but really not far from this utilitarian argument that you're saying most people aren't really thinking of with childbirth is the message that by having kids, if you are confident at all in your ability, in your own having a meaningful life, or in your own ability to provide some sort of um, chance for others to do so, if you're confident at all in your own philosophy, that having kids is an opportunity to multiply that. It's the same line. So I think people are thinking about that. Well, I think, I think a subset cultures, of people. Cultures are thinking about that, and historically, cultures have very much thought about that, that the idea that people aren't thinking about that is perhaps true for a certain subset of nihilistic or uh, lacking similar cultural elements, but I don't think it's as universal as you're imagining. Yeah, I, I take I take no issue with that. I... I... I think that's that's largely true. Um, I guess I would say that we just ascribe the 
you know, I think people can rationalize the having children and delude themselves after the fact, as is common today. But people or, are deluding themselves, quote unquote, before the fact. Or that they can delude themselves like, before the fact. Most of us. Now, now that's that's a lot. All of us besides obviously. Civ do not have kids, but we all have really strong opinions on this issue. I think it's unrealistic to expect the average person before they have kids not to have any sort of strong opinions on it. Everyone has at least some degree of opinion on an issue like this. And I think it's hand-waving to suggest that it's just people rationalizing after the fact, oh, whoops, a kid popped out. Occasionally that's true. I, I, I fully allow it to happen, the, the rationalizing to happen before or after the fact. Right. And that's fair. <laughs> but how do you distinguish rationalizing from just actually valuing having kids? Well, this we've talked. We, we, you and I have talked on this before, but um, I think one one reason would be that one way would be the fact that people give reasons for having kids. You know, the the fact that it happens after the fact in some cases or in potentially many cases, um, kind of is evidence for for what's going on. I think that would just be like the genealogical fallacy. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, like if you're trying to look at it, if like, is the argument valid or not, right? The origins of where the rationalizations come from have nothing to do with that logically. And, you know, there might be, um, it could be evidence that people are rationalizing it, but it could be, I mean, it could be correlated with all sorts of things of just like, um, well, maybe they're only talking about it after they have kids, but they never considered the question. I mean, you know, it's, there's so many things like you can think about death in the abstract, right? But then it's like, let's say somebody like, close to you dies or like you die or like, you know, there's just, there's certain experiences you have to have, um, to really say anything about them. I'm just kind of thinking about them as if they were disconnected little deals as, um, runs of like that scene in Goodwill Hunting where he's getting like roasted for like never having left Boston. Like it's all just, uh, it's all just kind of a big pretend until you've been there. And so it's perfectly normal for us to, like we, we should expect that people give reasons for things while they're engaged in something, right? That's not surprising. Maybe for an analogy, imagine like people like looking at sunsets, but if you ask them for the reasons why they like looking at sunsets, a lot of the rational explanations will be sort of wrong. But that's going to be that's not going to be very good evidence that actually people shouldn't look at sunsets or anything. It's evidence that people are that people are incorrect about why they like looking at sunsets. It's right. that they're rationalizing it. But it's not that they're incorrect about whether they like sunsets. So I think it's the same for having kids. Yeah, again, like, I don't disagree do with kids. that. I, my, my, my problem comes in at a, at a different stage of the question. So I think that's your, true. Your problem is that people are happy, but they shouldn't be happy. They yes. should be horrified and sad and realize yeah, if you that want to put everything it is miserable. Yes. Instead, they it, insist on being happy. Those miserable sons of guns yes i mean i'll 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 eat it right like i'm not i'm not uh yeah if you want to put it in the maximally it's not uncharitable the maximally uh yes essentially yeah Yeah. but it's it's why they're happy that, that i that i take issue with right all right well i think people are right to be happy and people Look, are right happy, too. You, don't get it. you can be happy if you're happy for the right reasons, Trace. You can't be happy if you're happy for the wrong reasons. What's the right reason? Like that you I think everybody? people are right to find joy and meaning in life, and they are right to want to pass that on, and they, in fact, have an obligation to do so. 
the right reason is massive doses of heroin. Exactly. <laughs> no. In terms of being obliged to reproduce. Are we talking about specifically happiness in in terms of having a child and being happy that you have a child, or in general? Well, having a child is just a shortcut to the to the in general happiness. Hmm. Okay. I mean, that's my contention, right? Is that it's an it's a it's a facade of meaning that you pull down. To, to me, your reasoning sounds a bit like saying that people who say that they enjoy sunsets don't really enjoy them because the explanations they give are bad. Which maybe if they are, even if the explanations are bad, I still don't buy the argument. So it's probably about time to wrap up if people want to uh, head on towards their closing arguments. How about for finishing, asking all you people who think we should have kids, how come you don't then? Me? I mean, okay. In my case, <laughs> you know, the reason I don't have kids yet is that I have a boyfriend who I love very much, and because the logistics of having kids when you're both men are a little bit more complicated than the logistics of having kids when one of you is a man and the other is a woman, we are setting we are setting things in order and uh, preparing to have kids as soon as we realistically can. And the timeline for that is the next few years. Um, and after that, we plan on having uh, around three kids. Around three, Trace? Yes. I'm basically well. in a similar situation to Trace with the uh, difference that I wouldn't say that uh, I necessarily expect to have kids, namely because the routes are either adoption, which is a very long and opaque process uh, that seems to mainly cater towards people who are uh, much more financially secure than I am at the moment, or surrogacy, again, which uh, seems to be targeted towards people who have about uh, $100,000 of disposable income. So, I think that I uh, will almost certainly not be having any biological children uh, for that reason. Yeah, the costs are uh, brutal, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I'll make do. <laughs> well, Trace, you'll, you'll have taken over the world at that point, correct? And then That's true. I'll make someone be, pay uh, for it. Yeah, somebody, everyone, all of us will pay for it. You'll just tax us directly. No, you specifically will pay yeah, for it. Yeah, me specifically, actually. <laughs> Yeah, when I take over the world, I'll just have antinatalists uh, fund the child tax. Yes, just uh, child tax credits uh, for the purposes of surrogacy. Yes. But yeah. Every antinatalist gets to fund someone else's surrogate kid. <laughs> that's position number one. That's position yes. number one. That's, that's uh... There is a whole uh, domain that we haven't really encroached upon, which is um, to what extent is the meaning in raising children derived from them being biologically yours, which does tend to be a bit of a can of worms in terms of uh, same-sex relationships in particular. I see that. I mean, false paternity statistics and all of that, it's I think it matters to some extent whether you think they're yours, but whether they're actually yours. 
is probably of a lot less concern. Right. I mean, I think, briefly to answer that, I don't think it's a huge can of worms, like you said. But I think it is, uh, with a, you know, with a gay relationship, you have to make do with things like that. And I think it is worthwhile. Both adoption and raising biological kids are worthwhile. Um, and largely for similar, somewhat for different reasons. I think most of the natalist arguments also apply to adopting, uh, with some exceptions of the people are, the kids are less likely to be quite so similar to yourself in some of the ways that play into some of the arguments for it. But uh, in a practical sense, um, I think the objectively correct thing for gay couples to do, this is my advice to all gay couples everywhere, is to have uh, a couple of uh, kids with uh, each of you being the parent, the biological parent of at least one. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, certainly makes any potential custody conflicts a lot simpler down the line. Right, and we should always optimize solely around custody conflicts, so. Of course. Jason, why don't you have kids yet? Um, I don't know. I just think I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, I, I, I should have had them... I, I, you know, if I was thinking responsibly about my life, I would have been in a position to have them like much sooner and done so and had this all sorted out. Um, I also, I didn't come to my philosophical convictions until probably the broad strokes or maybe like, you know, three, four years ago, something like that. And um, before that, I basically, my position was almost identical to Xantos's. Um, I very seriously grappled with antinatalism as a concept. And I, you know, even then if I thought, well, if I ever have kids, you know, it'll be like my thirties or like late. And then at some point it occurred to me that, um, that's, um, dumb and immoral and ruining everything. And I should have kids at like age 17 and I should have like 10 of them. And that's the morally correct thing to do. Um, but now I have to think, well, I need to be in a infrastructure to set that up. Right. Is that you have to find somebody that kind of shares your values and is willing to do that and you have to kind of screen them and go through certain processes and make sure you're financially stable enough and you know and i I think all that is overrated i think for other people like i you know i i'm kind of hypocritical and i think people should just not think so much and just have kids and not plan for them but like for myself it's like well of course i'm going to plan for it of course i'm going to fucking like get all my you know fares in order and do everything you know it just doesn't um it's hard to live up to your own philosophies i think i'm just you know i'm uh bit tricky to live a life completely in alignment with your moral precepts, as it were. All right, so, uh, closing thoughts. Flashy, what have you got for us? Well, I think we had a very interesting conversation here today. Uh, I don't think we actually got into a lot of uh, Benatarian antinatalism, which I think is a very strong arguments, and I would encourage people to check them out. Though also, the twist ending of this episode is that I'm not an antinatalist, because I uh, I am a techno-optimist, and also a techno-pessimist, because I believe a lot of crazy shit is going to happen. But uh, at the end of it, I think it may be morally permissible, due to the uh, changing circumstances of life, to have children.
Or also completely impermissible, perhaps. We should have brought that up an hour ago, and we would have had a very involved discussion about it, I'm sure. But, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Yes. No kidding. Jason. Um... Yeah, I thought it was, um, I, I don't know that we really resolved anything. I, I think it was interesting getting down to kind of the root of um, Xantos's issues where we got to kind of very um, uh, strong, kind of almost cartoonish ways of saying what he thinks and how to agree with that, which means we kind of made some progress in laying that out. Um, but, you know, um, I don't know. The um, I, I'm still not sure that we've... Um, established anything i mean it, it just kind of seems like the um there, there, there's been too much um I, i'm not sure that any of the arguments against or for natalism were addressed it just I, I don't know the whole thing just kind of strikes me as um choosing to be an anti-natalist because you want to i i don't i don't think it's anything deeper than that um i think you're it's not just, sure we've we've addressed anything jason that almost sounds like a, a reason to take no action well, and again, we didn't, like, there was the whole argument on what constitutes no action. And for me, like, quote-unquote, no action is giving into my primal desires to um, have a bunch of children. That would be the easiest thing for me to do is, like, just, you know, just go off. What is that, like, K selection? Yeah. Uh, I think K is the one that's investing heavily oh, okay, in P, your yeah. offspring. It's R selection that's for rates. R, okay, so, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about biology, but... Um, yeah, like, I mean, like, like for example, sitting in a room and doing nothing is excruciatingly hard. It's a very, like, the no action, like, or paths of least resistance, essentially, are kind of just living based off our programming and our habits, and our habits tell us to eat and fuck and reproduce and such. And so, I mean, if we took, quote-unquote, no action, these species would go on. Um, All right, uh, Siv. Um, well, yeah, basically, I feel like this is a lot of an issue that's... That's mostly the way about the way people feel more than the actual reasoning they make. So, like some people feel mostly positive about either life or about having kids, and just a lot of the rest is sort of rationalizing on top. Though it's interesting how it ties on to into really a bunch of topics, including a bunch we didn't really have time to get into. Cool, Neofas. I, I I suppose I agree with Siv here that it's 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 a very personal subject rather than something which you base like. Oh, because I have this philosophical thought, because I have this political opinion. It's it's much more personal why you choose to be either. Uh, if I should end on a glum note, I, I suppose... One of the few really strong opinions I have is that children deserve to be loved by their parents. And I don't want to have kids because I don't think I would love them. Alright, Sultan. Well, I thought this was an interesting discussion. Feel could have uh, perhaps used a bit more guiding structure at some points, but uh, oh well. I think that um, the key difference um, in the past century that uh, really is driving these questions is the fact that having children is now much more the product of a conscious decision to have them rather than necessarily something that just happens. I would say that uh, for the most part parenting is probably better left to people who have affirmatively made the decision to 
have kids and to the extent that uh, there are people who choose not to have kids that that uh, is probably something of a self-extinguishing phenomenon that is uh, people who don't want kids don't have them and then the well those predispositions disappear from subsequent generations and uh, therefore everybody gets what they want in the end all right Xantos. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think that um, the main driving force for having kids is at some level, at some point in the process, um, is kind of a, is, a, is a process of delusion and of rationalization and of coping and of um, narcissism, and that whether that happens before or after or you know, formatively um, is debatable and questionable and you know, we can have that con- we can talk about those things but in, in the end I think that so long as we are unable to credibly um, and strongly um, justify ourselves and the world we've created that we shouldn't then inflict that world on uh, copies of ourselves and, and on on others, and because I think we can't, then we shouldn't. Um, and and right. I think that that's that's an ancient that's a sentiment that goes goes back, you know, a ways. Just to push on what Sultan said, I, I'd quote I'd quote uh, Ecclesiastes from the from the Bible. So, and I'll end. Um, I think. My arguments that I want to make have pretty much already been made, and I think Jason had the best of it. So, in closing, I'd just like to remind all the antinatalists out there that if you're a strong antinatalist, you have a moral obligation to have kids and uh, teach them antinatalism so that they can help you spread the ideas of antinatalism through the world and prevent as much unnecessary suffering as possible in the lives of other people who would have had kids without your sacrifice and your intervention. So, that is all. This, but unironically...